Our time spent with the princess left a lingering air of disappointment. As we said our goodbyes, we secretly relished the time away from the uncomfortable couple, but stood when the tiara on Diana's head began to blink. Surprising all of us, she said she had to leave for a gathering of the greatest heroes on the planet. With an exit like that, it was obvious we followed. Matthew. And I'm John. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I wonder, Jenna, do you want a piece of the the intro when for, for times that you show up? What? Hi, this is my show. I have brought <laughs> these two boys along just to help me out. John's like, I told you. Not right and proper. Right no, wrong. I'm not going to correct you. Uh, I'm, <laughs> that is the correct decision. I'm excited. Because I enjoyed reading these. They're more, this was yeah, enjoyable. They're, they're more exciting than some of the stuff that we've been reading. Um, they're full straight up stories. Yes. Which is awesome too. And uh, this is probably the best writing we've seen from Gardner Fox. This is probably his best writing. I will agree with that. In the context of comics as we know, and the context of DC's line, there's a good 10-15 years between when this was written in 1960 and when he did the JSA and these are better mm -hmm. and that's awesome I'm, I'm happy to see that he is starting to become the writer that is basically everyone looks at and goes like no Gardner Fox did a bunch of stuff I mean he created the Legion of Superheroes he created a bunch of different characters so this might be kind of his heyday is the 60s yeah. and 70s I'm thinking so to put this in context, uh, we're actually in the 60s. Like, yeah. yeah. So we're right in 1960. Uh, Gardner Fox, as we mentioned, is the writer. Uh, Julius Schwartz is the editor. He's the one who also uh, edited for uh, Flash and Green Lantern. Yes. Uh, art is... Uh, Mike Sikowski. Yes. Uh, and then Inks bounce around between different, no, a couple different folks, but it winds up sort of settling down to Bernard Sachs. So, Gardner Fox, when, when once we said his name with trepidation and despair, I will say that I am at least happy to see him. The second to, coming of Gardner Fox? Yeah, it's the second coming. But, you know, after reading Kaniger, I'm excited to read somebody that at least I know and does weird sci-fi stories that, even if they gloss over some details, they were fun to a degree. So, hooray, Gardner Fox. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Uh, this is the first we've actually... No, he did some Flash and GL stuff, I believe, Gardner Fox. That sounds right. I don't he wasn't, remember. He wasn't the mainstay on either of those yeah. books, but he has up until this point. So we've seen some of his writing mm -hmm. um, at, before this. Joanne, this is going to be kind of a test, because... There's a lot that happens in these. And this is going to be a test for me because these are the, probably the most convoluted stories that we've done. Um, because those Superman full-length mag stories were never this intricate, I believe. I don't think intricate is the right word. Because these aren't complicated stories. It's just that there aren't chunks that you can easily like gloss yeah. over because this because there isn't any fat on these stories right like there's a lot of Chekhov's gun in existence here but there are little bits that need to be yeah. explained so that it makes sense when it comes into play in the ending yeah it, they, they definitely do move quickly and the parts really do matter but they are all so segment segmented. right yeah there's no uh the gang beats up hoodlums 
you know, yeah. summary. These will be longer summaries than you're used to, which is kind of a prelude to probably what we're going to start doing the more we get into the Silver Age. I hope The so. more the comics start to become actual legit stories as opposed to these kind of short story one-off. Green Lantern falls asleep and creates a construct in his mind that goes on a rampage. So, the first ever appearance of the Justice League of America, not their formation, the first ever appearance is in The Brave and the Bold, number 28, 1960. So it's another situation kind of like um, the Justice Society, in which all these guys know to hang out together, and they just all show up at the same time, and we just didn't see them do, like, form the League at this point. They're very fond of doing that, um, just in, to see if you guys like it. continuity rests? Yeah, in continuity rests, I like that. So the first instance, like, like we said, was The Brave and the Bold, number 28, March, April, 1960. We're going to start a little bit, uh, set the scene for you, where Aquaman is swimming in the ocean and uh, Peter the Pufferfish, you know, yep. one of one of Topo's buddies that hangs out at Aqua House, goes up to Aquaman and he says, hey, you're not going to believe the crap that I saw last night. And what, to- what Peter, Peter the, Pufferfish, the Pufferfish has seen some shit, Yeah, man. Peter the Pufferfish has seen some stuff, and what he has seen is that Starro, a gigantic extraterrestrial starfish with an eye in the center and multiple appendages not like a normal starfish landed in the ocean turned three starfish that he or it saw uh, and turned those three starfish into lieutenants that are very similar in size and shape of Starro and sent them off to do Starro's bidding Aquaman hearing this goes holy crap that's nuts and presses the A on his belt to signal the rest of the Justice League. Now, the rest of the Justice League of America is Martian Manhunter, The Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. Now, unfortunately, Batman and Superman are busy. Superman is off in space, destroying meteors that are coming towards the planet, and Batman is in pursuit of two of his arch-enemies. We don't know whom. I like to think it's Tweedledee and Tweedledum. I would like to say, though, that when everyone is called... Everyone but two people are doing something important. And one of those people, I will just dub him the B-team for everything, because he, unfortunately, never has any alone time. Ever. He is always paired up. He can never do anything by himself. Hmm. True. But yeah. But you first see Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman is tied up with yet another Skeev Trevor marriage proposal. Correct. Yeah. And then the last person is Marsha Manhunter, who's just being like, hey, I'm going on vacation to his boss. And his boss is like, that's cool. Yeah. You've earned it, John. (laughs) And then he goes, guess what I'm going to do with my vacation? I'm going to help the world. Yeah. He's always, always working. Um, Flash is dealing with a tornado. Oh, that's right. He's that, dealing with yeah. a tornado. Except, and it, and it like, was going to hit, like, multiple towns. It's like, god damn, that's a serious tornado. Right. But he, like, wraps it up and comes. Like, um, Green Lantern was on his way to something, and so then he puts his plane on autopilot. It's like, I will get back to you. This in an hour. Like, yeah. He says it in an hour. And I'm like, bro, this ain't taking an hour. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Like, they're legit doing stuff, except for Martian Manhunter and, and, Diana. and Wonder Woman, yeah, um, it's a uh, it's weird. I actually want to take a moment on that to to call something out. Uh, drawing on you've heard us talk about Jane Miles explain the X Men. One of the things they talk about a lot is the danger room open, 
where or the baseball game open of an issue where they introduce the characters and sort of a little bit of characterization and a lot of here's sort of their power set and what their deal is uh, so that no matter what issue you start on always make the assumption it could be someone's first issue here's who these characters are and this consistently we get things like this where right. it shows here's a little snapshot of what this character does who they are and we'll get that pretty consistently for a number of issues in here now remember dear readers the reason batman and superman aren't there is because they don't need the help these all the characters that are part of the justice league are the characters who aren't selling well at this time in dc it's so, literally in wrestling someone trying to push we're like we're going to squirt you down yeah and so it's like hey look we've got batman we've got superman but they've got almost no time on screen yeah batman and superman are the valets at this point <laughs> they're selling you on the team which again yep. is aquaman flash martian manhunter green lantern and wonder woman now, when they get to the swankiest of swankiest Justice League locations that I've ever seen in all of the Justice League, it's, it's, a, it's a hip and happening pad um, for the 1960s. Uh, we find out that Flash is the chairman of the league. I'm totally on board for this being canon forever because I think Flash is a great guy who would be in charge of, like, union dues and, like, who's making cookies for the next meeting. Because Batman sure as shit would not care. I'll this Flash, cookies. yes. Yeah, this Flash, yes. Well, Barry, Barry. I, I will say Barry in general. I think Barry is very much like that. Uh, Wally, no. Barry, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Flash says, wow, Aquaman told us this crazy story. Um, let's go deal with this. It's obviously a problem. So, we're going to pair off, except we're an odd number, so Green Lantern, you can handle your situation by yourself. And GL's like, you got it, boss. And Flash pairs off um, by himself. I think as well to right. to um, go to one of the locations because also Aquaman is tasked with going to the water to you know check and make sure Starro isn't doing anything else with any more starfish. Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter pair off, and Green Lantern goes off in a different direction. So we catch up with the first mission as Green Lantern is preventing one of Starro's lieutenants from taking a nuclear bomb or an atom bomb from a plane that is transporting one above the Rocky Mountain National Park region. And Green Lantern saves the plane from being destroyed, but the Starro lieutenant grabs the bomb, detonates it, we see Green Lantern actually protect himself like he, like he does very often in the comics now from the explosion with his ring, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Starro lieutenant absorbs the atomic energy. Green Lantern and the lieutenant go off in a, you know, pew-pew laser gun battle between the two of them, and Green Lantern hits it in the center and reduces it back to a normal starfish. Green Lantern effectively stops the Star Lieutenant uh, non-violently by reducing it back to a starfish. That's true. I didn't think about that. And wins. And we're like, hey, good for you, GL. Nice job, Hal. Um, we then flash to Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter. They have a lot of trouble. Yeah, they have a lot of trouble, but granted, their situation's a lot less straightforward than Green Lantern's was. I will give them that. Star, The Star Lieutenant is taking an entire symposium building full of people... And then reading their minds and gleaning information about atomic energy from these scientists. So Wonder Woman and Martian Manager have to save the scientists, get the building back on the ground, and defeat the Star Lieutenant. That's kind of a lot. Like, they've got their hands full. I'll give them that for, like, having trouble and taking the longest. Because there's a lot of moving parts here. The two of them work pretty well together. Um, I'd like to also point out... Wonder Woman and Martian Manager act as equals. They do not talk down to each other. They both have equally important jobs to do, and everything's awesome and hunky-dory. I really liked the team-up between the two of them. It wasn't really weird. They were just like, cool, let's do this thing. And I'm like, yeah, you go, team. 
weird people. <laughs> and even beyond that, one thing I'll call out is, in general, it feels like they've got a, like, uh, the creative team has a decent feel for how to do pair team-ups. Yeah. They're, they are very clearly trying to avoid, like, big, full team brawls, except for, like, at the end of each issue, and even then it's like, eh, it's yeah. not the best. But they do a lot of, they always do this, like, break into ones and twos. And the twos work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They usually work very well. And this is a good example of... This is the, also the first time... Because we didn't read a lot of the JSA. But this is the first time we saw two characters on, on the screen at the same time doing work for the same objective. And I dig Th it. That weren't sidekicks. Yeah, they weren't sidekicks. Mm -hmm. And I dig it a lot. And it's really cool. And they do a good job. They eventually tire out the Star Lieutenant. It's not really explained what they do so much as that they, they tucker it out and they save everybody with the invisible jet by having the jet kind of land in the building. Speaking of the invisible jet, we didn't talk about this in the Wonder Woman episodes previously. The invisible jet is voice controlled now. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. We never talked about that, but the, the invisible jet is voice controlled by Wonder Woman and does a lot of stuff. So like she tells it to do stuff and it will do things. So we finish with Wonder Woman and Martian Manager and now we go to the Flash. Now Flash was going to Happy Harbor. Hey, Young Justice reference. Um, that's where the mountain is in Young Justice. I didn't know that. Their base is in Happy Harbor. So, wow. Wow, you're going to see, I'm going to point this out. There's a lot of Young Justice things that are going to show up in these first few issues that when you watch Young Justice, you're going to be like, holy crap, these are all references to the first ever issues of Justice League. So, Flash goes to Happy Harbor, and all, and we also kind of get a little sidetrack to a guy named Snapper Carr, also yeah. Young Justice reference. <laughs> um, Snapper is just a young 16-ish, 17-ish kid who is uh, sodding his family's lawn with, like, lime and, and stuff that you do in the 60s and I'm sure now would be told as toxic so you wouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> he realizes that his whole town is being mind-controlled to go someplace. And Flash shows up at the nick of time before he is murdered by the Star Lieutenant because the Star Lieutenant says, Hey, you're not mind-controlled like everybody else. I gotta get rid of you. And Flash shows up, zips him away. And the Star Lieutenant's like, Oh, crap, that guy's really fast. I gotta get out of here. So it flies away. And tries to hide from him. And Flash goes to a lake where he thinks that the Star Lieutenant is. Pounds on the ground so that the water kind of sifts it's, away. It's a cool little moment. It's, it's great. And then finds the Lieutenant. And then stops pounding on the ground. And then all the water splashes down and kills the Star Lieutenant. Flash is on the board. Body count one for the Justice League. But just Flash because holy crap, dude. <laughs> wow, really? You killed it. He's the only one. That they kill. Huh. It says yeah. it's lifeless form. I double checked oh, wow. this. It's he straight up kills the star lieutenant. Everybody did well except Flash. <laughs> so fair enough. Flash kills the star lieutenant, talks to Snapper, and then realizes that Snapper's family and everybody else is okay. And they go, "Where were you going? You know, what what, what was the star lieutenant telling you to do?" And they go, "Oh, it was telling us to go to Turkey Hollow. It's about Turkey five. Hollow. Yeah, it's about five miles away from here." And he goes, "Okay, I'll go deal with that. You guys." you know be good and, and don't go crazy and he meets up with the rest of the team the rest of the team go to turkey hollow to find starro the conqueror who is now fully there going all right great um i got the atomic energy from my first lieutenant i got all the minds from the scientists from my second lieutenant and i realized i can mind control and control human beings for my third lieutenant i'm set i'm gonna take over the planet this is perfect everything's coming up starro and starro doesn't realize that the justice league shows up they're like wow you're just a huge starfish cool and they start fighting and starro is formidable for them mm -hmm. he's able to kind of fend them off for a bit before they realize that one snapper shows up 
And he's like, hey guys, I just wanted to check this crap out because this isn't dangerous at all, right? And they're like, what the hell are you doing, kid? And Flash goes, wait, you weren't mind-controlled by Starro. Why was that? Well, Starro literally takes a shot at him and it doesn't hurt him. Right. And they're like, why are you invincible right now? A small child. And Green Lantern <laughs> says, oh, he's covered in lime from when he was sodding his lawn, I guess? And they're like, oh, man. And Aquaman's like, yo, sailors use lime to kill starfish and get them off their boat. And everyone's like, which is apparently good, true. Good call, Aquaman. Way to show up for the rest of this issue. And he's like, you got it. And they essentially cover Starro in lime. Again, the Green Lantern ring creates lime and douses Starro in it. It creates it matter. It didn't even say it created. It's literally picked up oh, barrels yeah, no, of yeah. lime. It picks up that are around. Means, yeah. Oh, that's right. Barrels of lime from like a farm or something. Yeah, that yeah are and near they Turkey talk Hall. about like, paying the farmers back. After. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Oh, don't steal, folks. Uh, so they coat Starro in lime and it petrifies him, for lack of a better term. I'm going to say he's not dead. He's frozen in carbonite. Because it's a living statue. Yeah, they say a living statue, so Starro is not dead. And for Snapper's not really help, but for be doing chores like a normal child should, they make him an honorary Justice League member. And the most stupid thing ever. I mean, it's a thing that they do. No, it's no, a no. Thing. Snapper is clearly supposed to be the embodiment of the reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means... All of the frickin' slang he does, all of that is exactly how people were talking or how they were hoping that the readers talked to try to reach them. And he is a little marketing ploy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is That is every character like that. That's my, not surprising at all. And my favorite thing is that he is, like, he's talking jive. He's, that is he's, his he's talking like Yeah, he's talking like it's a beatnik. So yeah. And Except he, it's a hipster. Yeah. He dresses and acts like a model kid, like... Every 1950s, like, archetype yeah. of, this is the good kid. He's the gallant, but he talks like the counterculture cool kid. Yeah, he's like, Man, groovy. this grass mat is the coolest. Wait till Daddy-O casts his orbs on it. I'll tell him I'm finished. Hey, what's with the family circle? Where are they beating their feet to? Mom, Dad, Sis, you look like you're in Tranceville. What happened? It's weird. And Snapper's thing, the reason they call him Snapper is he snaps when he's happy. There we go. Hey, I was wondering who would do it, and you guys did. <laughs> I was really hoping we'd be, like, right in sync. Wait, 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 okay. awesome. Three, one, two, two, one. There we go. <laughs> Time that is. Perfect. Um, so, that's just Snapper's character. He's supposed to be the Jimmy Olsen for the Justice League. Yeah. He's, he, he's a replacement, thank God, for Johnny Thunder. I will have Snapper over Johnny Thunder any day. The next issue is The Brave and the Bold, number 29, May, June, 1960. Zotar, in an effort to find out how to defeat the authorities of his present time in, what is it, 11960? Sounds right. Um, goes back in time to defeat the Justice League with one of his four weapons on his battle bot form and to see what will, you know, if it beats the Justice League, it can beat the cops of his current time. So he goes back in time, he catches Snapper because he realizes, I guess, that Snapper is important to the Justice League and uses him as a mouthpiece to speak to the Justice League and say, hey guys, why don't you show up to the Justice League mountain, you guys can have a powwow so everybody shows up but superman and zotar through snapper says all right i'm gonna give you guys some riddles and i want you guys to try and beat me because i'm gonna test my weapon systems against you and they're like this is weird so the first up is the flash because zotar thinks he can beat the flash and he gives him a riddle that essentially sends him to a like kind of a nasa situation Mm -hmm. a rocket a space program and he has to fight zotar who is using his microscopiter 
which is a just a beam that makes people small. I don't know why you wouldn't just use that in general against your authorities, but what are you going to do? But Flash, smart as he is, realizes that all he has to do is get really, really fast, and he generates a lot of heat, and he melts the microscopic air while he's really tiny, and he reverts back to normal. Zotar says, oh crap, that didn't work, and goes back in time one minute after he left to fight the Flash. So we're now one minute back from when he was fighting the Flash, and he goes back to the JLA, and they're like, Hey, so that didn't work, right? He goes, yeah, it didn't. Uh, two of, what, uh, what other two of you guys are here? Uh, I'm still fighting the Flash in, in present day, but like, I guess two of you else are, are going. So, And that's where he gets really weird for me, is I'm going, here you are, you've got an advantage, and you're like, yo, you know, I think I can take two of you. Right. Obviously, the Flash was too powerful. I'm going to take two people that I don't think are as powerful. So, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, you two. So he picks uh, March Manor and Aquaman, and he tries to beat them with his de-evolutionizer gun. He must have bought that from the same place that uh, Gorilla Grodd and that one bad guy from Aquaman bought it. Uh, so it does work very differently, though. It, do, it we, does work very yeah. differently. So he is fighting against March Manor and Aquaman, who eventually kind of distract him enough that March Manor is able to fashion a mirror and uses it to reflect the beam of the ray back, and it hits the gun, which has a diamond focuser... And it turns the diamond focuser into coal or carbon, and he can't yeah. use the gun anymore. Well, the gun itself is turning things back to their more natural, right. primitive state. And so he does that to the diamond, and it turns into coal, and he goes, well, shit, now I can't use this. Uh, screw you guys! And then teleports back one, a minute after he did these guys, and he goes, alright, you you three, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern, clearly two were too powerful, let's do three. Like, it makes you think he should have started with three. Right, and, got, and whittled them down. So, he releases Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Batman. And he says, alright, you th you three are next. I'm gonna try something different on you. Come find me. So, Batman says, I think I know where Superman is. I'm gonna go get him. You two deal with him. And they go, sure, whatever. So, Green Lantern and Wonder Woman team up to fight uh, Zotar, who is now using his uh, Magneto bubble weapon. And it's a gun that shoots yellow bubbles that magnetize objects that then magnetize them to the sun and, like, drift them off into the sun to burn. So he hits Wonder Woman's invisible jet with it. Green Lantern saves her by popping the bubble and can't quite get a clear shot at Zotar because the bubbles are yellow and his ring doesn't work on yellow. So he's having a lot of trouble actually doing anything. So Wonder Woman uh, flies around, jumps on the invisible jet, lassos the gun on Zotar's machine, and throws it off center for a moment so that Green Lantern gets a clear shot and is able to destroy the gun. Hooray, teamwork. Mm -hmm. And she even says, Green Lantern saved me, now it's my turn to save him. And I was like, hooray! And they beat Zotar, and Zotar's like, bullshit, this didn't work out. Um, he kind of waits until everybody's done, and he goes, meet me, this is my favorite, in the Valley of 10,000 Smokes in Alaska, which is a real place, yeah, by the way, really. and looks really cool. You can Google it, it's neat. So they all show up to the Valley of 10,000 Smokes, and he attacks them with an illusion maker, where he makes them think that they've all been teleported back to prehistoric times and they're fighting dinosaurs, but really they're just like shooting at nothing and possibly hitting each other. Zotar's like, I don't know why I didn't do this from the start, this works out perfectly. I'm just gonna sit here and wait till they kill each other. This is clearly the perfect weapon of the four that I have. This is what I'm gonna use when I go back to the future. And then Superman shows up. And he's like, what is this bullshit? And breaks everything on Zotar's <laughs> machine. And he goes, hey guys, you cool? And they're like... Well, how were you this whole time? And he goes, I was traveling in time. And Batman's like, yeah, I found him. And I'm like, 
What? <laughs> it's really less unclear how Batman of all people found, found him in Superman, time. which is great. Which makes me think that like Batman went to Lois and was like, "Yo, do you know where Superman is?" And she's like, "Oh, he's traveling in time." So then he went to his uh, that doctor who hypnotizes people back in time. He was like, "Can you send me back to this time period that Superman's also in?" And he goes, "Yeah, sure." And then he found he's like, "Yo, the Justice League needs us." And he's like, "Oh crap, I'm still dressed up like the Marquis de Sade. Let me, uh, okay." And then they go back in time. Um, so he comes back and he breaks all of Zotar's stuff and then sends Zotar back into the future where he's got nothing now to, def to defeat the authorities and the authorities arrest him and everyone's like, hooray! Brave and the Bold, number 30, July, August, 1960. So, each member of the JLA, except Superman and Batman, loses their powers for a brief moment during the normal course of their day. And they it's another danger room kind of situation yeah. where they go through each of the different people. Right. So we see all of them, like, doing stuff, and then like, oh, crap, my ring isn't working. Or Wonder Woman's like, I have no strength. The Martian Manager's like, I can't do any of the things that I do. And Flash is like, why am I so and, slow? And there's this great panel of Martian Manhunter, like, he's using super breath. There's a panel of him just cheeks full, yeah. just, like, looking perplexed. Yeah, very, uh... Why very can't good. I super breathe anymore? Why can't I do this? <laughs> Flash calls them all together and he's like, yo, did you guys all have, like, a weird like, power brownout? And they're like, yeah, that was nuts. And he goes, uh, so apparently someone's been committing crimes stealing things that live very long, a giant catfish and a cicada and they, and the way that these things are being stolen sounds an awful lot like all of our powers. Although, can we pause for a moment and say they acknowledge Wonder Woman's power as being her lasso. Right. Yeah. And and Green Lantern's is his ring. Yeah. So it's very strange that they're like, your power is your ring. No, my power is an item. That is an item. That I don't have any powers. And Wonder Woman has powers. Wonder Woman yes. has speed and strength and Agility. some flight and capabilities. Not enough to need not enough so that she needs a jet, but she can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow it's this item that someone else now has. Right. And it's also very unclear still what the lasso's powers are right. in this era. Yeah, it's there's no... There, we haven't had an explanation of what the lasso does other than just being unbreakable and yeah. cool and glowy. So... Glowy. And yellow. Yeah, despite and yellow. the fact that gold is distinct from yellow as a color and it makes me angry. True. Um, we, we see them all go, okay, so what's the pattern with these things that have been stolen? Look... They're all long-lived things, I guess. That's a theme. So Flash says, all right, Wonder Woman, you go to the longest-living man who lives in Peru. Aquaman and Green Lantern, you're going to go to the longest-living tortoise that's on the Galapagos Islands. Marsh Manhunter and I will go to this owl. Marsh Manhunter paired up again. Yeah, but Marsh Manhunter makes a point of going, hey, Flash, we've never been paired up before. This is going to be fun. And I'm like, hey, look, they remember their own continuity. And I was like, that's kind of neat that they're, like, enjoying being paired up with each other. Even though Martian Manhunter is basically Superman and could handle shit far more effectively than some of these characters without a partner. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, so, Wonder Woman goes to protect this man in Peru, who says, like, eh, you're full of crap. Uh, this is, I don't need anything. Spirit dolls. I've got spirit dolls that'll protect me. And she's like, I don't think you understand that, like, it's not like a mystic thing. It seems to be like a physical situation. And sure as shit, the culprit appears. Now, many of you might recognize this name from a lot of different stuff, but it's Amazo. So Amazo is a robot that has been stealing these objects and using the powers of the Justice League or their objects and abilities that they have made simulacrum of because we will be, you know, distinct about this. And he finds Wonder Woman there 
and they get into a fight. The guy, the the old man from Peru, uses like a torch and a spirit doll, and he thinks that like, ooh, the spirit doll's working, but really, Amazo is getting weak because it's Martian Manhunter. He's using Martian Manhunter's ability, so he has Martian Manhunter's weakness. And he's like, oh crap, it's fire. And then the guy goes, perfect, my spirit doll worked. Dunks the fu- the torch in a well, and then Amazo's like, great, I have my powers back. Grabs the guy, grabs Wonder Woman, and then disappears. So, we're 0 for 1. Green Lantern and Aquaman team up to protect the oldest tortoise on the Galapagos Islands, but Amazo, of course, outwits them. Green Lantern goes, let's just make a barrier around the island. And Aquaman goes, that's a good idea. I'll go find the tortoise, and we'll just make sure everything's cool. So, while Green Lantern is dealing with Amazo, who is having problems getting through the barrier that he's made... Aquaman kind of rabbits out the back to hide the tortoise in uh, an underwater cave. And after Amazo defeats Green Lantern, he defeats Aquaman and takes the tortoise and takes the two of them. So we're 0 for 2. Now, Martian Manhunter and Flash are going to the zoo where the owl is. And Flash is like, I'm going to just run around this owl forever until this thing shows up. And you go do something, whatever it is that you do. And, and Martian Manhunter is like... I know exactly what that means. And they both, of course, get beaten because Amazo has all these other people's powers. They don't get beaten. Oh, that's true. Martian Manhunter gets beaten. Yes. Flash escapes because... With the owl. With the owl. Uh, Amazo mm-hmm. uses a ring to kind of encase the two of them in the aviary, but uh, Flash steals a bunch of yellow feathers from a bunch of birds, makes a yeah, bird right. chicken yellow costume for himself, and like football rushes through the barrier so he can get through with the owl escapes trying to use like air currents to fly away is about to crash into the water when he sees a boat in the distance gets another updraft lands in the boat and the guy in the boat goes fantastic work mamezo hi i'm dr ivo or professor ivo i made amazo knocks the flash out takes the owl and amazo's like haha i created the updraft using martian manager super breath abilities for you to get onto my boss's boat weren't we clever and i'm like yeah, that was kind of clever. I, like, I was ready to be kind of annoyed that they just like, oh, you made wings and you were able to fly. But then it was revealed, yeah, no, that was being done by the villain. Yeah. Well um, done. Well done. So Professor Ivo explains to the Justice League, who is all being contained by this yellow, greenish chlorine gas in tubes. He's like, thanks, I now have all that I need to effectively create a long life serum for myself. So I have long life and I can do whatever the hell it is that I want to do because I'm evil I guess makes it drinks it 500 years he gets 500 years of life from DNA and crap from these things he's like perfect Uh, Amazo dispose of them by removing their memories and removing their powers from them so Amazo using the fake Green Lantern ring and the actual Green Lantern power battery that he got somehow uh, off screen zaps everybody and uh, gets rid of their memories and their powers however Green Lantern is not affected because he inhaled a lot of the chlorine gas and blew it out in front of him while Amazo was zapping them and the beam did not penetrate the chlorine gas so he was not affected. He pretends to walk out, uses the little charge that he has left in his ring to go to the power battery, charges up, goes into the room with Ivo and Amazo and depowers Amazo using the ring because he found out that the ring can do that. So he just goes, okay, I'm going to do it to you. Does it. Amazo is now uh, useless for Ivo and he captures the two of them. They're arrested. He restores everybody's powers and abil- and memories. And uh, Ivo now has to serve 500 years sentence because he has that much health. And Snapper's like, holy crap, he has to serve that entire sentence. That sucks. And I'm like, yeah, good call, Snapper. Way to state the obvious. Um, 
However, I will now st- I will now state also that Ivo said he didn't need to take anything from Batman and Superman because Batman has no powers and Superman can be easily defeated by Kryptonite. And granted, if you have a character that has everybody's powers except Superman's and he has Kryptonite, you're pretty much fine. You don't need Superman. So, yeah. um, also, Green Lantern's the most powerful being in the universe right now? It because, sure seems that way. Because God he can damn. take everybody's powers. Right? <laughs> and now he knows it. That's now he a knows really it. dangerous thing. I, I just s- imagine the Guardians being back home just be like, oh shit. Hey, but Hal has amazing willpower. So he prevents himself mm-hmm. from doing that because he's a strong-willed individual. Good for Hal. Good for Hal for not turning evil. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. But we still have no idea how the frick Amazo got a... A ring? They make one, apparently. That's the kind of what they say, is they make a ring. make this technology. Well, the Guardians made it. Let's go take over the world. Yeah, we also don't know how Amazos gets their powers in general. It, so, whatever... It, the, the, the stories do a good job of glossing over the stuff that... They Gardner Fox frankly, very well. take a while to yeah. explain. They Gardner Fox very well in the sense where you're like, wow, that was cool. Wait, how does he do that? Yeah. And that's a Gardner Fox thing, is like, wow, that was cool. Wait, what? Um, yeah, put so, it this way, I didn't even think about that until we had this conversation. Right. So, Not to it, mention how he yeah. made a lasso that's very similar to Wonder Woman's. Yeah. So, there's a lot there that's just kind of like... It's Gardner Fox. Mm-hmm. He, um, get, he gets buy-in. Right. Um, so Justice League, number one, October, November, 1960. So a couple months after the last uh, issue of Brave and the Bold, we get the Justice League get, getting their own first issue book with the five or six of them, depending on who shows up when they feel like it. Flash comes across a pair of interdimensional travelers, Jason R. and Saranina, who are trying to escape Despero of Kalinor. Um, they're interdimensional travelers, and this blue radiation kind of is coming out of this house. Flash notices it. He gets bathed in the blue light, and they're like, oh, we're really sorry. We're just trying to escape this basically terrible guy who's been chasing us and trying to take over our planet. Um, he kind of helps them rebuild their situation, like their little ship that's getting away. And while they're do- while Jason R. and Flash are doing this, Saranina gets captured by Despero. And uh, Flash hides Jason R., and then goes back to the Justice League hideout or headquarters to be like, hey guys, uh, the I have to tell you about this weird thing that's going on because I can't handle it myself now. When he gets there, Despero has already beaten him there and has uh, mind-controlled the rest of the League. And he says, hello Flash, um, I cannot actually affect you because apparently you and Jason R were bathed in this blue radiation that I have no power against. However... I would like to challenge you to a game in a very jigsaw sort of way. Um, Despero is purple with three eyes and a fish fin on his head. He looks very uh, Doctor Who villain. Um, He's whatever. Despero is also a very, 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 very big deal in the DC Universe much later down the line. I've been trying to figure out what else he features in because I haven't Uh, really... Young Justice? (laughs) (laughs) So we'll get there. Um, Despero basically says to Flash, um, on the board are little death squares, for lack of a better term. If you uh, move the Justice League member to a square that is a death square, they disappear forever. But there's only enough squares for them to disappear on. And so you've got a good chance of not hitting one of those squares. And Flash is like, all right, I really don't have any choice other than, you know, maybe I could super speed over and then just beat the ever-loving crap out of this guy. But we're not going to talk about that, I guess. Um... He plays the game and, of course, loses every single time because Despero's cheating. And all the Justice League members are teleported to parts unknown. And Despero says, well, now that you lost, uh, get in that uh, time travel pod that you, you know, were helping Jason R build and bugger off. I will set a destination in time for you and you're going to get the hell out of my way. 
Snapper, seeing this happen because he showed up when he got the alert call as well, is distraught that the team has been defeated and sneaks aboard Despero's ship and disappears with Despero as he goes off to find Jason R. Now, Wonder Woman and Superman are teleported to a planet that is has dinosaurs again, because I guess they're the hot new thing in the 60s and 50s, is just dinosaur yeah. planets. Uh, we get Wonder Woman and Superman on this planet with dinosaurs. They defeat them, and of course there's kryptonite on this planet just because. I mean, I will say that the krypton krypton's bits have scattered throughout the universe to so wherever these people are. So... Superman says, with my telescopic vision, I can see our friends on another planet, because apparently it's that good. Let's go! And she goes, sure, I have nowhere else to be. And so we then flash to Green Lantern and Aquaman, who are teaming up, and they're like, we're on a water planet, I guess? And there's a giant magnifying glass that's boiling the sea? Wow, Despero's really complicated. <laughs> pretty cool, actually. And it's a, great, it's a great doomsday device scenario, and they're like, how do we do this? And Green Lantern's like, shit, that's yellow. Uh, got any ideas? <laughs> and he goes, got any ideas? And Aquaman's like, Maybe there's sea creatures here that are similar to those that live on our own planet. Oh, look! Octopus! And they shoot a bunch of octopi at the magnifying glass. squid. Or whatever. Squidding. Yeah, or, mm. yeah, they say it's octopi, but it should probably be squid. Um, they ink up the magnifying glass so that Green Lantern could affect it. He destroys it. And the denizens of this world that Despero was trying to destroy are like, Thanks! Uh, we can give you a craft that maybe you could use to travel through space. And, um find your friends and they go sure thanks that's well and they do so and they fly off to see if they can find everybody else meanwhile batman and martian manhunter the two detectives which i thought that was kind of cool um are on a planet that is seemingly under a countdown the countdown is for a missile that is that has been aimed at the planet that's going to collide with it and despero has shot it so uh batman and martian manhunter have to figure out how to launch something to go destroy the missile but there's a tower with one of despero's men in it that's shooting down anything that goes up into space so martian manhunter is going to go deal with that while batman's going to go fly a ship up to nudge the missile off course that harmlessly explodes elsewhere they're having problems with this unfortunately because while martian manhunter gets the tower to get knocked down despero's minion inside is just an immolated flame creature. And he's like, well, shit, this is a problem. <laughs> it's like a man made of kryptonite. And he's just like, oh, I have no powers. And then Flash shows up and extinguishes the flame. I kind of want to count that as a kill, but the guy's paralyzed. Yeah, it's so it's just explicitly a kill. He, yeah, he, exting he extinguishes the other, the, the villain. And he goes, oh my god, you guys are okay? And they're like, yeah, I mean, we're still trying to get rid of this missile and crap, but like, oh well. And so Batman averts the missile from detonating. And the team meets up on this planet where they're like, okay, we gotta go find Despero now. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Despero in his ship has found Jason R. And Jason R. has perfected his weapon that he thinks is going to defeat Despero. As he turns around, Despero shows up. He's like, thanks for making the only gun that could kill me. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna take that now, and I'm gonna kill you. With the gun. So, win-win for me, right? And Snapper Carr shows up, and he's like, not so fast, jerkwad. And Despero's like joke it and he thinks he's going to use his telepathy on snapper but snapper has also been bathed in the blue radiation that makes him immune because he was in the time travel machine and he pretends that he is hurt or affected by despero's uh magic or science powers and he goes go aim this gun at jason r for me so snapper goes and gets behind the gun and then just shoots despero with it <laughs> it's pretty awesome and despero is now stunned and or paralyzed and snapper saves the day hooray snapper was actually useful did not screw that up and brave good for snapper 
Um, and the team shows up because Snapper's like, I just, I wish it was kind of like not a hollow victory because I thought my, my whole team's destroyed. And they're like, no, we're not, Snapper. Good job, dude. And he's like, yeah. High fives for everyone. Yeah, high fives for everyone that snaps. And that's kind of the end of the story. Crazy, so, man. Crazy. Yeah, crazy, <laughs> man. Crazy. So. Out of sight. Four issues of comics. Four pretty solid stories man. for what we're reading at the time. Good job, Gardner Fox. Things that you can see in new contemporary media should you desire to look up some of these things. Uh, Snapper Carr is the reporter in Young Justice that shows up frequently during all the situations. He shows up the whole time and he's just like, you know, this is Snapper Carr reporting from Happy Harbor. Happy Harbor is in Young Justice. It is the town where the mountain sanctuary is where the team is situated. Um, Professor Ivo is in an episode of Young Justice mm -hmm. with the, the robot monkeys when they're trying to get the Amazo robot. And yeah, that yeah, is yeah. Uh, an episode with Superboy. Uh, Despero is in season two. He shows up on Earth to fight everyone. Despero's like really crazy monster, brutish Hulk looking in Young Justice. That's at why some, I didn't at some point in the comics, we change Despero from this weird guy looking fella to like almost a giant monster man. It's very strange. Okay, I, um, I, I would probably recognize that other one right. then. Uh, Star of the Conqueror shows yeah. up in Young Justice. He's in the container that's inside Aquaman's palace that uh, that Black Manta is trying to get um, in that episode when Black Manta besieges uh, Atlantis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's every everything that's in Young Justice that is in these issues. Which is cool. Because yeah. then like, when you watch the show, you're like, I know what those things are. And you feel cool about yourself. But yeah, so that's kind of the end of our summary here. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to mention. Is there anything that you both want to say? Shannon, do you have anything? Yeah, um, so doing my classic female perspective, all that wonderful goodness, um, men I was definitely hyper-focused on Wonder Woman. And I do agree, she wasn't treated particularly as a sex object, she was treated as an equal, other than like that moment where her interruption is Skeet Trevor... Still trying to convince her to marry him. Um, it was just that one moment that did that. That being said, Wonder Woman is in a new outfit that can go die and burn in hell. <laughs> um, if you haven't noticed, this is her first outfit that's got stilettos. Mm. She is no longer in practical Grecian flats. She still has the Grecian ties maybe connected to the shoes maybe but they are definitely very lovely high heels mm -hmm. and i went her practicality has just gone out the door hmm. and now i can understand if she loses some of her agility she will have trouble balancing it, I, it was a costume change that i didn't understand also, i honestly hadn't noticed that yeah. the wonder woman comics that we read didn't have the stilettos in there i honestly forgot about also that. something to point out that that is a positive she uses her bracers to deflect yes the, the star its atomic abilities it made me happy she uses her bracers it's yeah. she uses her rope there's none of this weird throwing her diadem around yeah like i love how she looks i love the art i just freaking hate her heels also, the artists do have trouble drawing the stars on her shorts. Yeah, I will say her that. Her bloomers. Anytime it's full frontal, essentially, they forget what a crotch looks like because that would require folds and then the stars Oh, they wouldn't... just do flat? Yeah, so Ugh. they just do flat so that they don't have to worry about how the stars would get warped or altered. And it looks Ugh. really bad. It looks like a big diaper. 
Sorry, world. That's true. No, it does look like that. <laughs> Anything else to point out or comment on? Um, just in general? No, like, I already talked about some of it with... I'm not a huge fan of necessarily the snapper thing. While I do agree, he's not useless. I just find him a weird, unnecessary distraction. Didn't you mention mm-hmm. something about Aquaman when you were reading earlier? Um, that is... So just some, just an interesting no, no, no. observation. It's an interesting observation that is not valid anymore. Sorry, um, which in the last issue we read shows how it's done. It's the order of the names is always the order of appearance, hmm. and they never say order of appearance until um, the last one we covered. So, but no, they definitely like did a push of Aquaman first. And they really do bury Martian Manhunter in all of them, though. He yeah. is pretty much last each time. So, Matt, do you have any notes? I do, indeed. Uh, I'm going to try to move quickly through these, because I know we're a little low on time. Um, first, a little bit of context just for timing. So, you heard us talk at the beginning of this episode that this is as far as we've gotten chronologically. Uh, specifically, 1960. There's a lot going on in the early 1960s in comics, particularly the the idea of this being the first of a wave of teen books that really like resonate throughout. Like you've got Suicide Squad a little bit before this, you've got Challengers of the Unknown, but those are like that version of Suicide Squad is a was like that, hum, regular human like espionage group. Was that Task Force X? Was that what they were calling it then? I don't think so i think it was actually called suicide, suicide squad, squad. Wow. Uh, i think actually the, the issue literally prior to this stuff uh brave and the bold 27 it would have been okay um but regular like special forces uh like normal humans who look cool and do cool stuff but uh so this is the first of a wave of team books because what we're gonna have is first off from a like uh, from a DC side, we're about a year away from Jay Garrett coming back, and then shortly after that, we start moving towards the introduction of Earth 2, and the JSA comes back. But yeah, we're a year away from the Tale of Two Flashes, which is a little crazy. We've, we've, we've covered some ground, dude. Uh, we're also a year away from the launch of the Fantastic Four, and we're three out from X-Men, like, holy crap, that's coming up. And we're four years away from the start of the Teen Titans. Like, mm-hmm. this is clearly the start of... I would I would hesitate to call it an era of uh, teen books, but there is now being a space for superhero uh, teen books. I also want to talk a little bit about the historical context, because sure. we haven't really talked about that all that much since, I want to say, like, Green Lantern, where, okay, there's a little more context of him being a, not a fighter pilot per se, but... A pilot and sort of that feel of geopolitical stuff. Right. Uh, so just to sort of prime what, what all is going on at this point, the Cold War is in what I consider its most dangerous period. You have the development of early ICBMs. You don't have the hotline between the White House and the Kremlin yet. So you don't have that ability to de-escalate. Uh, you don't have any arms control agreements yet. SALT is post-Cuban Missile Crisis. Speaking of, we're two years away from the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and American involvement in Vietnam is escalating, and nuclear missile subs are on station. This is a dangerous period, so it's really interesting that they specifically call Starro's blasts atomic blasts, or something like that. And in the uh, the issue right prior to all of this starting, the... 
the Suicide Squad uh, story, there is they are witnessing the detonation of a gigantic nuclear bomb. Hmm. It's intru- I hesitate to call it a fetishization of uh, nuclear and atomic stuff, but there's definitely some of that. This like this is the cutting edge of science is nuclear atomic. Like right. you, th- you would throw that word in there. Like when we saw Zeppelins a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the golden age. Damn it, you're right. Yeah, when we saw Zeppelins a lot, <laughs> that was just like, it. yeah, that was the the premier crazy air aircraft at the time before we got better planes. Yeah. All right. Um, a little bit of sales context too. So apparently, the U.S. Postal Service, starting in 1960, started actually tracking like sales of particular particular uh, circulars or periodicals, I guess is the right term. So we started actually getting some like concrete data of like everything that was registered with them uh, so we can actually do those comparisons. And it's interesting stuff. Uh, the one that kind of floored me was first place for 1960 and 1961, Uncle Scrooge. Hey, Disney. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and over, there was over a million copies sold in 1960, and it was in the lead by 200K copies. Nice. And I think I think that's a, an annual number. I'm not sure about that, but I believe it's an annual number. Uh, and the best-selling superhero stories are the Electrum-type stories, to use the terminology that I dropped earlier. The the ones that are for fun instead of the new art of the Silver Age. It's the Supermans, the world's fi- uh, the yeah, the world's finest, the Superboy especially. I think it's like Superman, Superboy, and then like Archie. Um, mm. It might have even have been like Little Archie specifically. Uh, even as Detective Comics was moving towards a historic slump, it outsold Flash. Superman sold almost three times as much as Flash. Turok outsold Flash. Like, (laughs) my two takeaways from there are, first off, the dominance of superhero comics is even later and less monolithic than I thought. I'd always assumed that indie comics of recent years, like, cracked a long-term superhero dominance. Like, and we'd seen, like, in the Comics Code issue, or episode, mm, drinks are on me. Yep. Uh, In the Comics Code episode that... Okay, at the time the Comics Code came around in 1954, uh, yeah, 1954, uh, horror and crime had been major, uh, huge uh, genres in the industry. And I thought, okay, well, superhero comics then, with the Comics Code, kind of took the fore. No, you still have Disney-style fun books, is right. kind of the way I'd describe it, even though that's a bad way to put it. But not superhero comics. Even at this point, it's really after like 1963 when the folks who are apparently uh, the folks who published the Disney comics jacked up their prices higher than people were willing to go up to. So, hmm. eh. and then and then you start seeing a build up of superhero comics. Then you get Batman 66, and that sort of pushes them much further into the limelight. Uh, and second, Flash and Green Lantern like. They're the heralds of the industry's future, but that isn't reflected in the sales. Like, yeah. That makes me sad, but, you know, in retrospect, it makes a ton of sense. I, I thought that we'd have the new wave of Silver Age comics, and they'd come in, and they'd take everything by storm. But, no, that's not where the money is. Yeah. So, that's interesting, and we'll probably, I will probably be digging into that more and more as we progress through. Uh, the last bit that I'm really going to go through that was the most interesting to me, and I'm going to try to move quickly through it. Structure is where these stories shine, specifically the storytelling structure, because 
the art is the art is solid. Uh, I really like the layouts, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's not like the stories or the characters or the power or the. It's not like the art or the powers or the creativity of the power use is what steals the show here. It really is that Gardner Fox just executes really well. Uh, the big thing for me was I've talked about the idea of showing the reader or the player or whatever audience of your medium is the barrel of the gun. Uh, here's what's at stake. Here's the danger. And even though the, the stories are broken up into like stages... They've got the, oh, we're going to go do three different things and we're going to come back at the end and deal with it as a group. It's still, the stakes are very clear and very linked all the way through. It's, here are the three different Starro lieutenants, and then they do the thing at the end where it's like, oh, Starro got this thing from this encounter and this thing from this encounter, and that feeds into the final confrontation. Uh, they're very clear about what the stakes are, and there's nothing deliberately hidden from the reader as a twist ending, which I appreciated. Right. Because those were... I didn't like those stories. Uh, <laughs> referring back to the world's finest, especially. Uh, and, the, and the individual combats are that way as well. They're very clear about the stakes and building that sense of here's the threat. Uh, the example that I go back to is uh, you have an overarching concern where we have to stop this particular star lieutenant. Sub-concern. Aquaman has to distract it for long enough for John to put his pl uh, plan in motion. Then there's an individual action around that, uh, like, I think specifically that was, like, he got clams to hold down the feet of the giant robot. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, no, I'm mixing was, that I'm was mixing yeah. But you have this sense where individual actions can succeed or fail, and they push, there's a push or pull that feeds into the overall, how are we doing in this encounter, which feeds into how are we doing towards beating Starro as a whole. It, it, for me, it feels like it built a sense of momentum and progress towards or against the stakes that were in play. And I very much like that. And Amazo is a great example of how you can have this push and pull momentum feel instead of it being like an all or nothing success or fail because he has so many powers that, oh, okay, I'm trying this power... That didn't work. That thing's yellow. All right, right, switching to a different power set. What I really wanted to see from the Amazo storyline that didn't happen, though, is there's this hint at the beginning that maybe when Amazo is using your power, you don't yeah, have it. No, that would have been awesome. That. Just I definitely thought that like was a rogue kind of There thing. was literally no moment in which there was a battle where he used their power against them. Because I, mm -hmm. I wanted to see, do they lose it? Yeah. The last bit to sort of talk about uh, structure is... I mentioned... I talked a little bit earlier about Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's mm -hmm. gun is in full effect. Like, there are a couple different points uh, where something gets sort of uh, inferred at the beginning. Or you see something play out at the beginning, and then it winds up being what's de what defeats the villain. Snapper being immune to the hypno-rays or whatever... Uh, be, for the same reason that Flash was at the beginning of the issue with the Sparrow. Like, it's it's such a, a fundamental aspect of writing to have that kind of... The foreshadowing isn't even the right word, but callbacks or right. the internal logic of your story paying itself out in a satisfying conclusion is a great way for it to happen. And the fact that 
the fact that even something as simple and foundational as that Gardner Fox executes it and it just feels good to have stories that work so do we want to do recommendations I think so sure do you have anything you would like to recommend I am going for the sake of doing these like throwbacks and seeing ensemble pieces I am going to do a throwback to a comic I have read the full series multiple times called For Better or For Worse. I... The, the, the comic strip? Yeah. You read it through multiple times all the way through. Damn, well done. Because that's a lot. It's I remember lot. reading those as a kid, and that I was a say lot. I there's 25-ish volumes of this, but it is this beautiful stories of family and connection and love and relationships and failure and it starts from just a couple with a recent birth to when i think through the full birth of their kids to mm -hmm. marriage yeah, and it's, their grandkids by the end of it it's wonderful it is lovely and i I don't know. I was thinking about it today and realized I should probably bat my eyes, visit my parents, and read through it again because my parents are the ones who own it. Every once in a while, when I'm back at my parents' house, I'll like, oh, I'm here for the, I'm here. I'll eat some breakfast, and oh, there's comics over here, and I'll just read through. And every, there's a okay. First, okay, there's my recommendation. Like I had something else that I was going to recommend, but screw it, let's do this. Uh, Pearls Before Swine was always amazing. Uh, just, and it really heavily leans into the, uh, misanthropy as humor, but there's a, there's a joke that always stuck with me, uh, someone's, I don't remember who's saying it even, because the characters have such different voices, but that's so good, but why do they call them the funnies? Because the, uh, the irrelevant inanities wouldn't fit. No. Yeah. Do you have a favorite newspaper comic I that do, you can actually. recommend now? Uh, Get Fuzzy. Oh, yeah! Get Fuzzy was my favorite. I have multiple volumes of that somewhere, oh, but I love Get Fuzzy so much, man. God, there's one that our family always refers back to. Uh, uh, the dog is looking at a little, like, bottle cap, and he looks at it, and it's, You are not a winner. And he just looks away, sad. There's no words on it or anything. Like, there's no speech bubble. It's just, uh, oh. Yep. I just I love that and I think there's there's some moments where the cat like you know the <laughs> yep. well the cat is obviously the, the the stereotypical like I get away with all this kind of crap stuff but there are moments where the cat and the dog have like some really cool um, bonding experiences and the same thing with the, the owner I think it's it's a good comic just because it's super weird it's mm -hmm. it's the art is not normal for a, a comic on on the newspaper it's not cute it's not like uh, cartoony it's like almost weirdly um, like uncanny valley with how realistic certain yeah. things look and uh, it's it's very fun so i like it a lot and that'll, that'll give you a taste of the three of ours humor <laughs> is. god yeah wow that this went in a different direction than i expected well uh, done yeah. it's okay save your other recommendations yeah. for you know the next yeah. time <laughs> Um, but we will, I guess, talk more about other recommendations next time when we cover Justice League again. And then I think after we do that, we might go to the Justice League member who gets inducted at the end of that episode and look at his books. But for now, we will see you all next time and uh, look for all these fun and wonderful things that we have just recommended uh, to read and enjoy. 
DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and dcdetectivespodcast.com. When next to her peers, Diana shined more like the confident and capable heroine we knew she could be. She was still rough around the edges, but so were the rest of the heroes that comprised this early version of the Justice League of America. I wasn't happy about having to suffer through Snapper Carr's terrible jokes, but I couldn't pass up an opportunity to see my gal go toe-to-toe with aliens and time-traveling criminals with the rest of the team. 